Well, would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the one gospel in which we stand and on which we rely and hope and depend. The gospel that we sing about. The gospel means good news. The good news that Christ has come to earth and given his life for us. Dying for us. Living perfectly for us. Rising triumphantly for us. Ascending to take the throne for us and promising to return for us. This is the good news of which we sing. And I pray that you would stir our hearts with good, good love for the good news and love for Christ as we go into this new year. Be with us now as we look at your word in Acts chapter 6 and as we seek to learn what you have for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I love doing uh, Advent <coughs> sermons, um, sermons where, you know, you switch things up for a little bit, but I must say, as somebody who likes just to preach through books of the Bible, um, coming back to the book I'm preaching in feels like coming home. Um, it's a little, okay, I know what I'm, I know, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, so, anyhow, we're back to the book of Acts, and I'm really glad. Acts chapter 6. Now, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7 this morning, and these verses are in some ways a transition from the stories we read in chapters 4 and 5, and the stories about the two deacons, uh, Stephen and then Philip, that we're going to read about in chapters 6 to 8 of Acts. So Acts 6 verses 1 to 7 kind of introduces these two deacons and among some other deacons of the church that we're going to read stories about, Stephen and Philip, in Acts 7 and, well, 6, 7, and 8. So uh, this section of scripture explains why these guys were appointed in the church and how this all went down. So let me start off with a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you had tons and tons of things on your plate to do? <coughs> Too much to do. You ever felt like that? Imagine you're in a situation where you had many, many things to do, and all of those things you are completely capable of doing yourself. But if you tried to do them all, you wouldn't be able to do the few things that you really needed to focus on. Like my wife, for example, really needs to homeschool our children. That's a huge calling in her life. She's perfectly capable of doing all the household chores, but division of labor is very important because uh, she needs to do the things that she needs to focus on. Right? Of course, she does way more than just homeschool. But she keeps a lot of tops turning. I'm very grateful. But my point is that we can't do it all. Right? Well, there's a key um, story in the Old Testament where 
uh, one of the leaders, the first leader of the nation of Israel, was trying to do it all. Do you remember his name? Moses. Anybody remember the chapter where Moses has his kind of awakening moment uh, where he realizes, or his, his father-in-law, Jethro, helps him realize he's trying to do it all. Anybody know what chapter that is? Chapter 18, right? Chapter 18 in Exodus. Moses is trying to do it all. He's, all the people are coming to him. It's like a dad who has 15 kids, and they're constantly coming to him about every little problem they have. Like, Dad, Billy said my socks look funny. Dad, you know, like the, the most ridiculous things. Like, sort it out yourself. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't care at some level, right? The Israelites are this massive nation, and they're all bringing their problems to Moses. And his dad, his father-in-law, comes to him and is like, Dude, <laughs> you're going to either retire early or die of, you know, heart, heart attack, right? This is too much. You, it's too heavy of a burden for you. And therefore, um, appoint guys to help. That's a key story in the narrative about Israel. And in the story of Israel, um, the fact that Israel is such a burden for Moses is not a good look for Israel. They're a broken, sinful people. Um, but it's a little different in our story today. Um, there's, there's a similar story, though. This is the early church's moment where the the same type of thing happens there's a need for a division of labor for for more help okay so let's look at acts 6 1 to 7 in those days when the number of disciples was increasing the hellenistic jews among um, the, them complained against the hebraic jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution or literally it says the, the ministry of food. So if you have a Bible that you like to write in, some people don't like to write in the Bible, so you could do this. Write in there ministry of food. Or the word the word ministry, it's important there. Or service. The word is the word for deacon, the deaconing of food. Diaconia. So the twelve gathered the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word same word as before the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry service of the word again same, same word as before this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip. So um, Stephen and Philip lead the list. Why? Because the stories that follow this section are going to be about Stephen and then Philip. All right. But now there's some other guys. Uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Everybody, anybody ever hear any of these names? People naming their kids. Uh, these names, Timon, I think I've heard of Timon, Par Parmenas, Nicholas, there's, there's some Nicholases, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men 
to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, or and, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, we're going to see three things here. If you want to follow along with the outline, it's on the back of your bulletin handout. Um, the main idea, the outline is there. Uh, we're going to look first at two types of ministry in the early church. The word ministry is actually the, 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 the word service. Um, the Greek word, is, I don't usually throw Greek words at you, but it's the word diakonia, which is related to the word deacon in the Bible. Um, there are two types of deaconing or service, ministry. Have you ever heard of a pastor called a minister, a servant? So that's, that's what the word minister means, Ser servant, servant. And second, we'll look at two groups of leaders in the early church, one group that's focused on each type of deaconing, serving, ministry. And then third, we're going to look at two results from these two ministries in Acts. So when you put all this together, here, here's the main idea. I've got it written out on the bulletin for you. The word of God continues to spread. You see that in verse 1 and verse 7, common theme. God's word is spreading. Disciples are increasing because the church of Jesus maintains a distinction between the two essential ministries of the church. So maintaining that this distinction between the two ministries, the ministry of the word and the ministry of food and service, hands-on service, maintaining that distinction is essential for the flourishing of the word. So two types of ministry. Let's start out with this. In the book of Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament that follows, we're going to see a pattern emerge in the early communities of Jesus' followers. A pattern that first takes off here in these verses in Acts. And this pattern is that, broadly speaking, there are two types or categories of ministry in the church of Jesus. There is word ministry, which is connected to... Um, so connected to the word ministry is speaking to God in prayer and then speaking about God and on behalf of God to his people. And then there's the type of ministry we think more often of when we think of, think of the word ministry, the ministry of service. There's a serving with your hands ministry. Jesus did both, right? Jesus was a preacher. He was a preacher, a teacher, a healer, and a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He fed 5,000 men while preaching and preaching and preaching all over. That was the main focus, actually, of Jesus' ministry. People would be clamoring to be healed, and he'd be moving on to the next town that he might preach the gospel there also. But he did both. And there is a sense in which all Christians ought to do both types of ministry. We're all to speak to God in prayer. Christians pray. They talk to their father. If you don't talk to your father, you don't have a good relationship with your father, right? Christians are those who talk to the father. We pray. And we are called to talk about God and on behalf of God to other people. God makes his appeal to the world through us. And we're all called to serve with our hands. However, not all of us can do all things. Not even the earthly Jesus could be everywhere at once. 
when he was in the mountains praying, off in a quiet place, he could not be healing the crowds. When he fed the 5,000, it was because they'd been listening to him preach for hours and were very hungry. He fed them, and his disciples helped pass out the food. Yeah. A couple other places in the Bible that we could go to see these two types of ministries unpacked are uh, Titus chapter 1 and Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. There we read about different callings of people in the church. They're called to these types of ministries. There's elders, also known as pastors, also known as um, uh, bishops, or the word overseer is the word bishop. So if you come from a church tradition where they have bishops, that's the same word for pastor, for overseer, for, for sometimes they're called teachers. It seems to be referring to the same individual. Some people disagree with that, but I think there's enough biblical arguments that could be made to say, yeah, this is all talking about the same individual, just looking at different aspects of what he does. A, a pastor is a overseer. He leads in that way. And so um, that's a different sermon for a different day. Maybe when we preach through the pastoral epistles, first and second, Timothy and Titus. But there's two different types of people, pastors and deacons, elders and deacons, and they're called to lead, oversee the ministries of the church in different ways. Elders are to be able to teach in the list of qualifications. But the deacons, that's not there. They don't have to be able to teach. You could have a, a deacon who is not able to speak, but that would be a little more challenging for an elder, right? Both, however, serve and minister, but with different areas of emphasis in the church of Jesus. Now we'll turn our attention to the book of Acts, and we'll see how these two ministries show up with clarity for the first time. Acts 6, there's a problem. The widows, that would be ladies who have lost their husbands, would be fed daily by the early church in Jerusalem. Every day the church would feed them. The reason for this was that the widows of society in the ancient world were some of the most vulnerable people in any given community. We live in a world where a single lady can usually go find a job. Not so back then. That was very rare. You were either married or destitute relying on your children and family and friends to provide for your needs. Many unmarried women became widows, were driven into prostitution out of sheer desperation. Widows were often exploited, mistreated, overlooked, and undervalued. And this is the case in many parts of the world where we could find similar things, right? Where widows need the help of the people of God. But in the Old, and in the Old Testament scriptures of Israel, God was very passionate about how important care for the widows and orphans in any community was. So just me saying there's places all over the world where widows need help, especially doesn't mean they don't need help in our community either. I want to be clear. There's many ways that we can help. But 
especially in third world countries. All right, so one place where we see God is passionate about widow and orphan care is Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29. I'll read those instructions to Israel. At the end of every three years, God says, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So that's just one example. There's quite a few examples in the Old Testament of the Bible where we see that God is especially burdened for the widows and the orphans, the vulnerable, the most vulnerable of society. God wants his people to see that they are fed and clothed and cared for. The early church of Jesus shared the burden of the Lord for helping the most helpless in their society. And they were quite organized about it. Every day, you could get your food from the people of God. There was a need for that. And at first, things were going really well. But, as is always the case, when more and more people are added to the equation, things get complicated. As the numbers grew... One of the things that started to happen was that a minority group of Christians in the church began to be overlooked in the distribution of food. See, there was two types, well there was more than that, but there was two main types of Jewish people living in Jerusalem. Some were called the Hellenistic Jews, and they, <coughs> scholars think they most likely only spoke Greek, the Greek language. Then there were the Jews who had maintained their Hebrew identity over the years by continuing to speak in Aramaic, which is a sister language of Hebrew. Jesus preached and taught in Aramaic. So, so anyways, the, the, the language and the cultural differences between the two different groups of Christians, both Jewish people, um, just like we can have Americans who are very, very different, uh, might even speak different languages for the most part. Um, this was that type of scenario where you had Jewish people living in the same city. Some spoke Greek and some spoke Aramaic. And now, most likely, the Aramaic speakers also spoke Greek. That was the trade language of the day. But probably the Greek speakers did not also speak Aramaic. They may know, have known a few words, but they wouldn't have had a need to learn Aramaic. Greek in that day was like what English is in the modern world. It's like a trade, a trade language. You might not speak it well, but um, you know how to communicate in it, right? Well, Greek was like that, and these Greek speakers were being overlooked in the ministry of food, the Hellenistic Christians. They weren't getting treated the same way as the majority group, the Hebrews. Now, the apostles are made aware of this problem, and they realize it's a serious issue. However, they also know they don't have the bandwidth to continue preaching and teaching the word and spending enough time in prayer to the Lord to take upon their shoulders the oversight of ministry of food to these widows. 
They say in verses 2 to 4, it wouldn't be right for them to lay aside the ministry of food, or ministry of the word, to focus on another ministry. I see this as humility and wisdom, right, at work. They admit humbly they cannot do it all and still do what they believe God has called them to do. So they appoint a second group of leaders in the church to oversee this ministry. So this is the second point, two groups of leaders. And it's very beginning, the early church is comprised of two groups of leaders right here that we see. Overseeing the two main ministries of the church. The diakonia, the ministry of tables, practical serving and care for God's flock. And the ministry of the word and prayer. Talking to God and talking about God on behalf of God to people. So the apostles were the 12 disciples of Jesus with Matthias replacing Judas who had betrayed Jesus. And they were all men who had walked and talked with Jesus. And their authority in the early church was unparalleled. Their testimony was the foundation on which the church of Jesus was built. It was absolutely essential that these 12 men not get sidetracked from spreading the news about Jesus to the ends of the earth. Even very good, very important, utterly crucial things for the church to do, like care for widows, could potentially lead the apostles to drift in their focus from what God had called them to do. So that was one group that was to focus on one ministry of the church. The second group of men the apostles appoint. There's a total of seven guys. And interestingly, I, I was talking about their names earlier. How many of these names have you heard? Some of them, right? They all had Greek names, not Hebrew names. I think that's important. It indicates that the apostles put seven men from the minority group of Greek speakers in charge of food distribution for everyone. It'd be like a big church that has 20% black people and 80% white people and the minority group is not being heard. Things are falling through the cracks. Maybe it's not explicit racism, but just, you know, things, things are, they're getting overlooked a lot, taken for granted. And imagine then if that church is like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna appoint all black pastors or something like that. It's like, well, we some of us would be like, nah. And I'm not saying we should always do that, right? That's not what I'm saying. But it seems like there's a wisdom here that's at play in this early community where they're saying, look, here are seven godly men who are from this Hellenistic background. They have Greek names. And they are very closely in touch with the needs of this community. But they also care about all Christians deeply, and they're going to make sure that the job gets done. They're going to build bridges between the two main groups of Christians in the early church. So these seven men are going to be overseeing the ministry of food, but they're also going to be bridge builders in many ways, representing a community that has been overlooked and caring for the whole church. So two main ministries, practical hands-on, like setting up tables, feeding widows, 
and teaching and preaching and prayer. And two groups of men put in charge of each ministry. Now, this pattern here that we see, it's not identical to what we see developing later on in the early church with elders, also called pastors, bishops, overseers that I mentioned earlier, that was focused on word ministry, and the male and female deacons focused on the hands-on ministry of the church that we see in Titus and Timothy. So this passage in Acts 6 is not specifically a passage about elders and deacons. That's what I'm saying. However, the principles we see here set the foundation for what we see in the church of Jesus in years to follow. It's also important to notice that in the stories that follow, two of these early servants that were to wait on tables, these deacons, Stephen and Philip, they didn't simply care for widows and keep their mouths shut. Well, we don't do word ministry. No, the very next section of Acts you see Stephen, he's got the longest sermon in the book of Acts. He basically gives everybody a history lesson of Israel and then gets killed for it. The history lesson of Israel has one main point. You guys always reject the prophets. And you rejected Jesus and killed him. And now you're going to kill me. <laughs> right? So Stephen is a preacher as well. And Philip, after the big shakeup of persecution in Acts 8, after the the death of Stephen, Philip leaves Jerusalem. No more waiting on tables now that all the Christians have left Jerusalem because of the persecution. And Stephen, or Philip, starts preaching the word himself. He's a preacher. So this isn't a competence thing here. It's not like, well, Peter was more competent to preach than Stephen was. No, it's, it's an area of calling. What were they called to do by Jesus? So, I just want to make that point because it's important to see that the lines between table ministry and word ministry are not hard, fast lines that cannot be crossed. Jesus did both. They're areas of emphasis that will require more focus and more, area, more specification depending on the number of people in a given church community and the needs that needed to be met. Like when there was 120 believers in Jerusalem, they didn't need those seven guys to oversee the table ministry. But when there was 30,000 believers in Jerusalem, maybe more, things were complex and they needed all hands on deck and specification was more helpful. Right? Any company sees this. Specification grows with complexity. Here's how this applies to us. We're a smaller church. The word demands on my time are not as high as they would be for a pastor or a <coughs> team of pastors who are pastoring a church of 5,000 people. In the early church, things were getting more and more complex for the word ministry of the apostles, right? As more and more people came to faith. And so every Jesus community, every local church in a town or area, whether big or small, needs to use wisdom and prayer to determine who does what in the midst of the body to ensure these two things. One, that the needs of the family of Jesus are met, especially those who are most in need. 
And two, that those in charge of the ministry of the word have enough time to pray, to visit people, the flexibility to do that, to share the word one-on-one, -on -one, to train leaders, to study, to continue to grow, to teach the word of God in as many settings and formats as are needed in their community. This includes Bible studies, Sunday morning preaching and teaching, evangelistic opportunities, trying to connect and spend time with lost people. That's the primary reason with regards to word ministry that for 2,000 years, the churches of Jesus have usually tried to financially support those who labor in preaching and teaching so that their time can be freed up to preach and teach the word. That's what our church does. Now, in some societies, money is not really much of a thing, but you might support me with chickens and cows and sheep and goats. And, like, I'm not asking you to bring me a chicken or a cow, but <laughs> oh, I wouldn't turn down a cow. If a cow shows up in my yard, I'll, I'll kill it and eat it. We'll eat it, but I, I, I'm kidding. So, so anyhow, the early church supported pastors. It's a common theme. Now, many churches in our area and in small communities around the world have pastors that are what's often called bivocational. They work side jobs to make ends meet. As my buddy Lamb calls it, your side hustle. I've done some of that from time to time. Carl pays me to trap woodchucks. Or even um, some pastors do what folks are calling uh, co-vocational pastoral ministry. It's the new buzzword on the street of church planting. I am, oh, I'm, co I'm a co-vocational pastor. And what they mean by that is, um, usually what's, what's meant by that is, uh, I'm an engineer 40, 40 hours a week, and I pastor as well. So they have a vocation, a, a calling. They're, they are full-time. They're not just doing a side hustle. They're a full-time something else. And, and there's some pluses to that. There's a lot of challenges to that as well. I would say, and I think my friends who do this agree with me, the only way, the only way that this can be done well, and no, neither of these two ministries struggle, word and um, is if it's done by a team, okay? So the guys, like my friend Landon who does this, um, they have a team, and, and it, it, it works pretty well. But there's still some challenges. There's challenges with the other model as well. Um, as, because, we are, um, because we are a smaller church, as I mentioned before, some of my ministry is a little bit more split between the two types of ministry categories of the church. And this is something that every church community, every pastor has to figure out with prayer as the years go by in a church's life. Our church has made it possible for me to focus full-time on the ministry here. And as our church has grown some, my area of emphasis has shifted more towards word and also training leaders, meeting with our deacon team and helping get that started. And so now we have a deacon team that focuses on some more of the hands-on 
ministry of the church. And that's been a really big blessing. So that I don't do everything. I can't um, I can't run PowerPoint and be up here at St. Right. We can't all do everything all the time. We need each other. Another way that our church has worked together, even in the word ministry, is to divide up kids' Bible club teaching. I don't teach kids' Bible club at all. I'm upstairs leading sermon discussion. I can't clone myself, nor would that be healthy in any way to try to do everything. So every church does those two types of ministry and Every church needs God's wisdom to discern exactly how to do it. All right, it's not cut and dry. So, for example, for an example, um, the pastors at Bethlehem, where I went to Bible college, it's a very large seminary. It's a very large church. Um, it would be very unlikely. Not that they wouldn't be willing, but it would be very unlikely to see one of them. Shoveling the sidewalk on a snowy day because there's 10 other people that have volunteered and want to do that. Some people were paid to do that, right? But here, you're very likely. I live right around the corner. You'll see me shovel. You'll see me and Michael shovel, like, right? And that's okay. Um, every church community, oh, the pastor has to devote himself to prayer and the ministry of the word, not to menial tasks like shoveling. No, I love to shovel, right? But again, if, if we were a church of a thousand people, that might look a little different, though I still like to do some shopping. All right, third thing, two results from these ministries that we'll see. When the section of Acts starts off, there's a group of Christians who are unhappy. They're falling through the cracks. When not enough ministers try to do too many things, people fall through the cracks and get hurt every time. That's pretty simple. You overpromise and you underdeliver. But the result of the new arrangement is that the whole group of Christians is pleased. See that in verse 5? Everybody is satisfied with the new arrangement. The ladies who are being overlooked feel like they've been heard. They were listened to. It feels really good when your concerns are heard. Right? And they're happy with the solution. The men now in charge of this ministry are men they respect. They're dynamic leaders in the church, full of wisdom and the power of the Spirit. And then look at the second result that follows the division of labor, verse 7. The word of God spread. The numbers of disciples increased rapidly, and a lot of priests became obedient to the faith. So when these distinctions, I'll, I'll just read the main point again, right? The word of God continues to, to, to spread. Because the church of Jesus maintains the distinction between these two essential ministries of the church. Both ministries are utterly crucial. One is not more important than the other on a moral value level. That's important to understand, right? My Sunday morning sermon, what I'm doing right now, is not more important in some weird spiritual ranking system than the labor that Ken put in yesterday cleaning this space so that we would be ready to gather in it. 
It's crucial that the church of Jesus serves each other in tangible ways like Jesus served us with his life. It's also crucial that the church preaches and teaches and learns the word of Jesus. However, there is a logical and functional priority to the ministry of the word in the life of the church. Here, here's what I mean. A logical priority to it. If you don't hear the good news about Jesus, and if people aren't discipled in the word, then they won't join the community of Jesus in the first place, or learn about God's heart for orphans and widows, or about how to serve each other like Jesus served us with his life. So again, both ministries are equally important. The ministry of the word is essential to the life and growth of the church, and Christ-like service and love and sharing is, is the essential sign that the word of God is actually alive and well in a church. One, though, gives birth to the other. The gospel bears fruit. The preaching of the gospel bears fruit. Which is more important, the gospel or the fruit of the gospel? Well, they're both crucial. Because if you have a fruitless gospel, a gospel that's not bearing fruit, then you didn't... Either you didn't understand the gospel, you didn't believe the gospel, or you didn't hear the gospel. So, two applications as we close. First, we've got two areas of ministry at our church. Two areas of emphasis. The word and prayer ministry is the first. When I preach on Sunday, or study, sermon write during the week, prepare for and lead Bible studies, Drive and go read a scripture message or pray with someone. Meet up with someone for counseling or prayer, encouragement. Our dollars as a church are regular offerings. They help free me to do that, that kind of ministry. And I want to say I am very grateful for the support that our church has given me in that way. It frees me to do what I believe God has called me to do. So a huge way that you can help God's word, the ministry of God's word, flourish here at this church is to give financially, right? On a consistent and regular basis. And that doesn't just support the ministry of the word here. We give about 13 to 14% of our budget to missions, to other ministries, to support the ministry of the word. So when we put money in the box over there, right, we are supporting the ministry of the word in Papua New Guinea as my brother Luke and his wife Maya labored to train church leaders and do Bible workshops all over that island. We're supporting the ministry of John and Caroline Norris in the United Arab Emirates as they pastor a church there and lead people to Jesus. We are supporting the work of Jesus in Hungary and other places that we've partnered with over the years. Now, we're a smaller church, and as I mentioned before, um, some, some of what I do is not just word ministry. And that's okay. Like I said, every church, every church uses wisdom in that area. But we all need each other in we call right the division of labor word ministry i need help with the word ministry as i preach then people steward the message about jesus and go share it with our kids 
Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your friends. Bring people to hear the word ministry. We're all in it together. We all have a part in all the ministries. Just areas of emphasis may be different. The second area of application is to serve and help where God has called you. So you might not be called to the ministry of the word at the same level that I believe God has called me. But if you're a Christian, I encourage you, going into this new year, ask the Lord, where are you calling me to serve, to use my hands to help the community of Jesus? We don't have a table ministry where we daily feed widows. That's not a need in our community, but what are we doing this month on Saturdays? We're feeding those in need in our community. We're partnering with some other Christians in the area to do that. Every Sunday, we have a nursery ministry where we watch each other's children for a little while. Like Jesus, who said, let the children come to me. One of my greatest joys at Bethlehem, Sunday night service. Holly and I got to watch the children together. Why? So we could support the ministry of the word so other people could hear the word and we also got to enjoy playing with the kids and reading a little Bible story to them. And there's countless other ways to serve, right? Having eyes to see. Washing dishes after the service. Picking up community. Communion cups. You might see. Esther likes to do that, but she misses some. Right? Tidying up the auditorium. Shoveling after snow. Partnering with us as we seek to serve other people as a church community in the strength that God supplies so that in all things, God gets the glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I just ask that you would lay it on our hearts to serve one another in love, that both ministries of the word and prayer and the ministry of serving each other would flourish, not just in our church, but in all the churches represented here by some of our friends visiting and, Lord, also the churches of our community. May your word bear fruit and multiply in our midst. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.